Okay, Boker Tov, we continue in Moid Kotten Dav Tesva Vomit Beis. We are discussing the three different types of people, the Ovel, the Menuda, and the Metzora, as to what they are or not permitted to do. And we're just going to go back two, three lines from where we left off last week. After saying that an Ovel is uh, prohibited in having relationships, uh, intimacy. So we've more asked about a mitzora. So that we did, we're just going to do it fast again. Mitzora mahu betashmashamita. Can a mitzora have intimacy? Toshma, we learn in the Bryce of the following. Ditanya, the Bryce says, what do we say about the mitzora? The Yoshav Michutsalo. He shall dwell outside his tent for seven days. Uh, that's the restricted period. And what does that mean? The Bryce says that he should live as He should be treated like a person excommunicated and a mourner. And it says, And he's forbidden in marital relations. Okay, so clearly he can't have marital relations. And how do we know that? Because the Pasuk says he stays outside of his tent. And this because the phrase, his tent, means his wife. Shinemar, as it says, Moshe Rabbeinu told the Jews after they got the Torah at Sinai, uh, Hashem told Moshe to tell the Jews, Go and tell them to return to their tents, which means go turn to their wives, because before they got the Torah, they had to separate from their wives, and so now they can go back. Shmamina, we hear from this b'risa, that a Mitzorah is prohibited to his wife with intimacy. Clear, straight proof. That's where he ended last Thursday. To which the Gemara is now going to ask, okay, so now we always do all three. So we did mourner is prohibited, the Mitzorah is prohibited, and now we usually go to Menuda, the one that's been excommunicated. So Gomorrah right away doesn't have to ask. Gomorrah's going to say, oh, we have a proof right away. Because what did it say? The previous price had just said that the Mitzorah stands outside of his tent and he should be like an excommunicated person and like a mourner and is prohibited in intimacy. So Gomorrah says right now, So now let's also um, c- conclude what the halacha is by the menuda. Because it says he is like a menuda, an excommunicated person. He's like an oval, and he's usher in intimacy. So look here, we have a proof from there. So Moore says, no, if you look carefully at the words of that b'risa, it's not a proof. Ravuna answers, it did not say he is like a mourner and like a menuda. That is prohibited in intimacy. It did not say that. Miktani. Did it say Sha'asur? Who is forbidden? Go back. It said like this. Sheyeheh, he should be Kiminuda Uka Avel. He should be like an ex-Minam Avel. And then it says, Vitasur Batash Meshamita. And he's Asur in intimacy. Why didn't it say he's like a Manunava who is Osir in intimacy? Because then you're telling me that the other two are Osir in intimacy. Now the Avel is Osir in intimacy. But how do you know the Manunava is? So what does it mean to say he is treated like a Manunava and an Avel 
and he's usher in intimacy. I can go back to the place. But rather it says, He's like the excommunicated person, and like the Ovel, meaning what? Regarding Bimili Achrina, regarding other restrictions. And he is, the Metzora is, but he's usher with Tashmita. So yes, so the, the Matsura has a number of restrictions like the Oval and the Menuda. He also is Usr in Tashmashamita. We know that the mourner we already proved is Usr but Tashmashamita, but we never proved anything about the Menuda. He might be like the Menuda in a lot of other aspects, and he's Usr in intimacy, which the Menuda may not be prohibited, and we have no proof to the Menuda. That is the rabbi. Yeah. It was a while ago we had the excommunicated person was allowed to have uh, you got a chart up. The excommunicated person was allowed to have relations with his wife. We didn't put that down. I thought it was. Okay. Sorry. No, there was, okay. No problem. A chart is coming up soon. Okay. But an old not, chart. not for that. I, I don't recall sending out a chart for that. Okay. Now next case. Uh, now, question now is, can these three people send a messenger to bring korbanos for them? Okay, that's the next question. They obviously, um, some of them certainly cannot bring korbanos because they can't come to the temple mount, their tummy. That's not the question. But can you, you can, you can generally, an individual person... Can send uh, a shliach. Let's not for every korban. For example, a korban chatos, he has to confess on it. But not everyone. You could let's say a korban shlomim. You want to give a gift. You want to give a, a gift offering to the base of Megish. So, how about that? So that's where the question can. What's the status of these three types of people when it comes to sending for korbanos? So Gemara says, Ovel eno mishaleach korbinosav. A mourner does not send out his korbanos via an agent. And you see, Tosfas Harash discusses why he himself can't bring it. Uh, we can generally say he's in a sad state. The base is a place of simcha. You don't you don't bring in a, a frowny face into the base hamigdash. So that's uh, one reason why we wouldn't do that. But so how do we know? But that's the lumdus. But what's the uh, the pasuk? There's a proof to this. Well, we'll see. The Tanya, for we learned in a brisa, Reb Shimon Omer. Reb Shimon says, well, really the only korban he really can bring is shlomim. So shlomim bisman shahu shalem. Shlomim means uh, when a person is whole, he's complete. Okay. Rabbi Shimon is interpreting the Pasuk in Zevach Shlomim Korbano, and if a sacrifice of a Shlomim is his offering, the Braishu, which is recorded in its entirety, goes on to derive from the case of Shlomim, then Onain, a person who is in a state of severe mourning, is not permitted to send any kind of offering. So you're not full, complete in your emotions, so to speak. In other words, it's got to be in a nice, tranquil state, so to speak. And when a person is in mourning, he is not shalem, and that's what it says. The lobe is man shahu onain, and not when he is an onain. Now again, although 
that, that bride speaking out an onane, which is a more strict type of mourning than a regular mourning, but the logic makes sense for both because there's still anguish over both of them. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a, a strict, so, you correct. Right, but the more. Anyways. I'm sorry. Have any missiles, I have to even send an offering. That's a good. Okay, that's a good point. Uh, although we had cases, remember, where Kohanim, certain exceptions existed. So you're right, that's an interesting question. If guys in Onain is excused from all mitzvahs, although we don't know that yet in the Gomorrah. Gamora hasn't said that yet, has it? Okay. No, I'm just saying. Okay, maybe it will. Well, yeah, but it, so far we haven't seen that in Gamora. I mean, there's a lot more to still unpack over here, and this can be questions asked later down the line. You're bringing up a good point. So, but uh, clearly, we're set. Uh, and um, so, it's saying Lobis Manshahu Onain. All right, and then we're going exp- to. You know why they're saying this? To extrapolate for a mourner. That also a mourner is in a sad state. So even if you could say, well, he couldn't bring it anyway because he's putter and mitzvahs, but forget about that aspect. Even if it's not a mitzvah per se, you just can't bring it because you're in a state of aninus. So therefore, you can extrapolate to a state of mourning. Okay, that's clear. We answer that. Now, what about the menuda? What about the excommunicated person? Menuda, mahu sheyishlach korbanosav. Can he send an animal offering for the temple? Amar Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef gives an interesting tentative proof. Tashma. Let's look at the status of the Jewish people during their 40 years in the desert. We mentioned this once before. Remember we said that after the sin of the spies, the Jews were like menuda. They were like excommunicated from Hashem to the extent that Hashem didn't even commune with Moshe for 38 years in the desert. It's good Moshe had enough Torah in his resources to teach them for 38 years. But anyway, so what happened? Well, look at this. All the 38 years that the Jews were in the desert, they were considered like excommunicated from Hashem. And yet, yet they did send their offerings into the Mishkan. Okay? Because we know that uh, korbanos were brought on behalf of every Jew. Remember, they may not have been personal korbanos, but there was the holiday offerings, all those other offerings, who were they brought for? The entire Jewish people. And the entire Jewish people were excommunicated. So if they were all excommunicated, so then how could we bring korbanos for them? But they did. So you see that an excommunicated person could bring it. That seems to be the proof. But then again, we come to this third time we're using this rebuff. He says, wait a minute. Shiny, maybe if you are excommunicated from Hashem, things are more lenient than if you're excommunicated from a court. Dekil, that it might be more lenient, but regularly banned people, maybe not. Which Gemara responds, kill, you think to God it's even more lenient. But in a previous answer, you said, it could be it's stricter. We already said this once before, something else. More answers, you know, really not sure. <laughs> if it's more strict or less strict. So one thing's for sure, we cannot bring a proof. 
who therefore umat chilei, and therefore there's no proof. We're not sure if it's more strict or less strict. So you can't bring a proof from it. Could be it is for sure as a proof, or maybe for sure not a proof. Since we're in doubt, how do we compare excommunicated from God as opposed to excommunicated from the rabbis? Obviously, they don't think it's the same. Either it's going to be a lot worse or a lot better. Since we don't know, we can't bring a proof. So don't ever bring proofs. Why Gabor keeps bringing proofs? You know, you do what? Maybe it's different yeshivas. We're having different discussions. Uh, okay. Now we come to a tricky one now. Where the So we said now the uh, the mourner does not bring korbanos through somebody else. A menuda, we don't have a proof. We don't know. So now we're left with the mitzora. Now this is interesting with the mitzora because the mitzora has to bring some korbanos himself. Mitzora maho sheyishla korbanosav. What's the law of a mitzora? Is he allowed to send offering to the temples? Now Tos was already asked the question. How is it possible for Mitzorah to send his sacrifice when an owner must lean his hands on the animal's head within the temple precincts? And a Mitzorah is forbidden to enter there, right? And the agent does not perform the leaning. See, a shlamim is something else. Anyway, Rufa explains that where it is impossible for a person to perform the mitzvah of leaning his hands, he may bring the sacrifice without doing so, since the leaning right is not critical to the validity of a sacrifice. Being to say, it's a mitzvah to do it, you should do it, but what if you didn't? It doesn't hold it back from being an accepted korban. So when it's not possible, when you're a mitzvah, so I guess, again, you might wonder, isn't it odd? You're a mitzvah, don't you have enough on your mind that you have to send a korban? And you can't even do it in the right way. Maybe he wants to uh, start doing tshuva and bringing shlomim, you know, because, you know, remember, one of the reasons you're a mitzvah, there's a number of reasons, not only Lashon Har. One of the reasons you become mitzvah is if you're miserly. You don't want to, you don't want to share. You don't want to give tzedakah, whatever it is. You're miserly. So I guess he figures uh, maybe a coin system, when he says, you know, maybe you should do things without being so miserly. Well, what could I do? I can't even get in contact with anybody. Well, you know, you could make an agent to bring a Corbin to the base of Migdash and give a Shlomim and Kohanim will have a lot of food and this and that. That'd be a nice thing to not be so stingy. So that maybe he would have that in mind. And since, and he wouldn't have to do any smicha, so to speak, because he can't do it. So then you do live without it. But anyway, that is the Shaila. Can a Mitzorah have an agent bring Korbanos for him? So now the Gemara is going to go through the Psukim that describe the purification process of a mitzorah. And Gomorrah has one thought of what it means, and then it's going to change it. So Tashma, come and learn that he's not chayiv in, he cannot bring korbanos. Titania, for we learn our b'risa, what does the Pasuk say in Yechezkel? Okay, interestingly, not from the Chumash. So the Navi there says regarding a Kohen who had become Tameh, it has to undergo purification before resuming his priestly duties. Okay? So, and so the, uh, here's the whole Pusik over here. Okay? It instructs the Kohen like this. When a Kohen, when a person dies, he can't go and be metamasov. Except for the seven closest relatives. Okay, then he becomes Tommy. If it's your closest relative, you become Tommy. 
and now the simple meaning is, and after he's been tahar, after he's been cleansed, he's gone to the mikvah, right? We'll see what that word taraso means. That's the problem word over here. It, literally, after he's become purified, then shivas yamin yisperu lo. Then he shall count seven days for him. There's a problem there. <laughs> When you become Tahar, you don't count any days. That's going to be the, what do these words mean? We know this idea, you count seven days, then you go to the mikvah. It just seems to be reversed. It's saying, and after you've been purified, seven days you count. Okay, that's going to be the contentious puzzle. And the day he comes back to the, to the holy area, to the inner courtyard to serve in the base of Migdash, Yakriv Chataso, he shall bring his Chatos offering, and that's what the word of Hashem has said. That's what the Navi says. So now let's look at the simple meaning of the Pasuk. The simple meaning of the Pasuk is that a coin who's become contaminated with corpse tumah must purify himself and then bring a Chatos offering to the temple because he's not supposed to be Tameh, but here he must be Tameh. So he brings the chattas offering. Each of the details of the Pasuk would therefore relate to corpse tumma and its purification. That's what we're talking about. Or this interpretation is difficult as we shall see. I already said, you don't purify and they count seven days. So that's where the problem is. In fact, the Bryce will interpret the passage as relating to three different subjects. Because it's not possible that the one subject follows this order of which was said. So now we go back and it says, and after his cleansing so what did we thought it meant after his cleansing he counts seven days then he comes to the courtyard and then he brings his court he's going to say what this means 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 that after his separation from the corpse and his subsequent completion of the seven-day purification process for corpse tumah, after his cleansing, which we'll see what that means, okay, but it means he's separated from the corpse. Now, shivas yomim yisperulo, he then shall count seven more days from him, elu zayin yemei these are the seven days of counting. Though these additional seven days are the seven days of a Mitzorah counting which precede his final purification ritual. Okay, what's going on over here? The Bryce understands that verse 26 switches from the subject of corpse tuma to that of tsaras. In a, why? Because it doesn't make any sense if it's only one topic. The Poshup shadow was corpse tumor. But he says, but he's troubled by the mention of Yisaprulo. They shall count for him. While it's true that one contaminated with corpse tumor must count seven days for his purification, the verse should have stated if corpse tumor was still its subject, they shall sprinkle him with over seven days. Because someone with corpse tumma needs paraduma water. Since this tumma individual is sprinkled with water mixed with the ashes of a red heifer on the third and seventh days of the seven day purification process. There's no counting per se, there's really the sprinkling on day three and seven. 
The fact the prophet used and said the term sphira counting implies that he's speaking of another seven-day purification period in which the seven days that must lapse between the coin's declaration that the mitzara is no longer tameh and the completion of the purification. A mitzara, once he's the Kohen says that uh, he's no longer tameh, there's still a seven day to have to lapse between that declaration and the completion. This guy goes over seven days. That would be counting. When you're talking about corpse stoma, you don't say counting. You're saying sprinkling over the seven day period, not counting. So when he's saying, Elu Yimei Sviro, when he's saying these are the seven days, so verse 26 thus discusses the reinstatement of a coin who's been disqualified because of two separate conditions, corpse toma and saras. That's what it's talking about, okay? So now we're saying these are the seven days of counting. In other words, we dealt with corpse toma, and there were seven days where you were sprinkling the ash on day three and day seven, and then the saras is finished, and now he's got to count seven more days to which he is from a Matsara. So you see, the, without any explanation, we just saw some kind of guy with corpse tumor. But now we're throwing in, no, can't be, the words aren't written to explain that. It's got to be two things happened, corpse tumor and saras tumor. And then what does it say? And now the day that he comes to the inner courtyard, he brings a Corbin Chatos. So now we're still not finished. They bring a. Ah, well, you might be, it might be for being corpse to it. We'll see. And what do we say that is? What is the Corbin Chatos? Zu Asiri Sa'efa Shalom. This is the tenth of an ephah flower that's brought by an ordinary coin upon his inauguration into the temple service. Now we have a third topic. A three and one. The guy was corpse tuma, Mitsara, and he asked it to serve for the first time as a coin in the base of Igdash. He's got a lot on his plate today. All right? And these are the three things that have happened. But that's all with relation of Divir Rabbi Yehuda. This is the way Rabbi Yehuda understands these complicated psukim. So the Brisa interprets this verse as being independent of the preceding one. It views the prophet in this passage, this last part, as instructing the Kohanim regarding various laws they'll have to observe when they resume the temple service. We're talking about Yechezkel's talking about the base mention is being to be destroyed. But don't worry, Beis will be rebuilt and Kohan will get to do their work again and this is some of the work that the Kohanim will be doing. Right? So after discussing Tumah, remember the first thing is corpse Tumah. The prophet turns the topic to a special meal offering of a tenth of an eighth of fine flour that an ordinary coin must bring on the day he is initiated into the temple. Okay? So therefore the Bryce understands the first part of the verse on the day of his entry into the sanctuary to the inner courtyard to minister in the sanctuary as being literally of the inaugural day of his temple service. The latter part of the verse, Yakriv Chataso, instructs on the day the coin shall offer his chatas, a word that usually means sin offering. However, the Torah nowhere requires that a coin initiate bring a sin offering. So the word chatas has to be interpreted as a variant of the word chitui, which can mean purification and connotes a preparatory and qualifying act. 
Pravadevara says it's going to bring the meal offering to qualify for his initiative in the temple. So what he's saying is, this is who, Rabbi who? Rabbi Yehuda is saying the last whole section is not talking about a Mitzora necessarily. It's talking about a guy who's inaugurating himself. It was a guy with corpse tumor and a guy who's inaugurating himself. That is how Rabbi Yehuda learns all this. Reb Shimon Omer, Reb Shimon says, we do it like this. When it says, Bevo Yakriv, on the day of his entry, he shall bring, what does that mean? Bisman Shiroi Labia. When he's fit to enter, Roy Lahakrava, that's when he's fit to bring the Korban, that initiation Korban. But Bisman Sha'in Roy Labia, but when he's not fit, Ain't a royal lacrova. He's not fit to enter the temple. How many times is he initiated? Once. Once. So once is one off, and what? There were other things that could have happened. Could be speaking out of coin. It was a mitzora. Could be a mitzora if you're not initiated. You could be a coin before you work in the temple. Yeah, but once he's initiated. Yeah, fine. So that's the one off. That's what we're talking about. So what? So what's the connection that happens at the same time? No, he, he right. to, uh, uh, no, it's just because the Pusik is so complex, we have to understand it's talking about a number of different subjects. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the, the subjects. I'm trying to find a scenario that fits the uh, problem. Right. So Gomorrah answers its question regarding Mitzorah from Rab Shimon's opinion, this opinion. Rab Shimon is to be understood in conjunction with the preceding verses, which deals with the topics of corpse, Tom, and Saras. That we know is the first two topics. That is verse 27 teaches that the initiate may not bring his meal offering of the tenth of an ephah until it's fully purified, which could have been from previous cases. So here we extrapolate to the case of any tummy individual. He cannot bring it into the temple. So therefore, we prove he cannot. Now, here is the chart. Okay, so we can just look a little bit at, we've summarized all these halachas. Okay, so let's start with the avel, going straight down. He's forbidden haircuts, putting on tefillin, greeting others, studying Torah, laundering, working, bathing, wearing shoes, marital relations, sending sacrifices. Okay, and he's obligated in wrapping his head, rending his garment, moving his bed, meaning all of these apply to an oven. All of these. And again, as we said, nowadays we don't wrap our heads because that's not the way we dress. Uh, we don't overturn a bed because that's not the way we sleep anymore. We don't have any carbonos. But everything else, this is all correct. That's all not allowed to be done. Okay, on the other hand, the one who's excommunicated, we have a lot are unresolved. <laughs> if you look, most of them are unresolved, and whatever's uh, and what is resolved is hair cutting is not allowed, but studying Torah is allowed and working is allowed. Everything else is unresolved. The Mitzorah has a few that are unresolved, but again, so one that we could say is straight across hair cutting is the seems to be the only one that everyone cannot do. Okay, maybe, maybe laundering. Okay. Uh, 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 forbidden, forbidden. Uh, laundering, that's the only one. Laundering. laundering. So those are the two that are completely forbidden. 
and more have been resolved by a mitzora uh, in terms of that he and what is uh, yeah and where do the mitzora and the menuda share incomplete learning Torah they're both allowed to learn Torah everything else it's not the same because it's either unresolved by one or obligated in the other so that is the proper summary of this entire topic which now will just lead you in to see where we're going to start tomorrow where Rava now we have to go back remember we talked about a fellow who was excommunicated and how do you get excommunicated because you didn't listen to be sent to Besden so now we're going to go and segue tomorrow into the whole section of Okay, how do we know a guy has to be called to Bezin? How do we know if he doesn't get called to Bezin or who calls him to Bezin? How do we know if he refuses, he gets excommunicated? So now we're going to totally shift into that area completely tomorrow. Okay. What? We're talking about right? This is Moikat. Yeah, well, that's every Masechta. Every Masechta does that.